0: And I had spent years suffering in what I like to call my own crock pot of resentment, blame and resistance towards healing. Welcome to the Reach New Heights podcast, where we dive deep into all things self-healing, transformation and building dreams. I'm Julie Householder, and it is my passion to share powerful tools to empower you to transform your life and reach new heights. Let's get started. Welcome to episode four of the Reach New Heights podcast. Today, we are talking all about building emotional literacy and navigating difficult emotions. We will dive into concepts about building self-empowerment through our relationship with our emotions and emotional baggage, societal stigmas and ideas that affect our emotional health, as well as some powerful reflection questions, tips, and exercises to support you in your process of self-improvement. So before we hop into our podcast today, I'm going to invite you into kind of, it's kind of silly, but it's an awareness exercise that I like to do to bring me to the present moment and just get me back into my body. I don't know if you've ever felt that when you're having a really busy day or when a lot of things are going on, it's like our minds become like this buzzing beehive And sometimes when we do something that can just bring us back to the present moment, we can start feeling more in our body, feeling more relaxed. And this is something that my mom used to actually do with me growing up because I was someone, I would tend to curl my toes and I think it was from anxiety, but she'd always ask me to like move my toes and fan them out. But something that I do, and if this isn't available to you with your feet or your toes, you can do this with your hands as well is you slowly fan your toes out as wide as you can. And starting with the left foot, try to put down one toe at a time without moving the other toes. Moving in from the pinky toe all the way to the big toe. And then if you're using your hands, you can do the same thing. Fanning your hands out and then just placing one finger down at a time. If you're driving and listening to this, I would recommend doing this when you are not moving. Um, Sometimes I'll do this at a red light and I'll just place one finger at a time and when I finish each side I take a full deep breath in so starting with our left foot banning your feet as far your toes as far as you can and then just starting with your pinky toe moving it down slowly one two three four five then inhaling in through your nose And exhale out through your mouth. And then going to the right side. One, two, three, four, five. Inhaling in through your nose. And exhale. And then drawing both of your shoulders up almost like you're trying to touch your ears. Just holding them there, bring them as far up as you can. And then inhale and exhale them back down well that exercise it can be very funny because you realize that it's very hard to put one toe down at a time and it might vary from foot to foot but I find that I'm concentrating so hard not to move the other toes that I'm very much in the present and I'm able to connect with my body and just kind of bring some silliness into my day this is a massive topic with so many layers to it. Before I move into some powerful content, tips and exercises for self-improvement, I just wanna say that the most powerful way to really transform our lives, especially if you're navigating trauma and mental illness, are structures of support with professionals. And just like we might go to a personal trainer to help keep us accountable and help us in our fitness journey, it is more than okay to go to a professional that's essentially a personal trainer for your brain, for your mind and and for your emotions. There is a hilarious meme. It's kind of like a comic strip and it has two frames where on one side, all you see is this cartoon drawing of super muscular legs. I mean, these legs are completely ripped and there's this little blue cartoon dude coming in through the side of the photo exclaiming, dang boy, how you get them thick legs. And then in the second frame, it zooms out to show the full body shot of the cartoon man carrying this colossal sack on his shoulders that reads in words on the cross that says emotional baggage on this bag. Literally every time I see this comic strip meme, I burst out laughing. It is so funny, but also it's so funny because it's so true and and, and the truth that it makes light of. Many of us, including myself, carry incredible amounts of emotional baggage. I remember I used to say to my mom, I'm like, I don't have just one bag, like I have like the entire airport coming along with me. Um, And this emotional baggage, you know, it could be past hurts, our childhood story, heartbreaks, trauma, frustration, fear, resentments, the list goes on. And then on top of that emotional baggage is our struggle with difficult emotions. The hurts we have not worked through, we carry with us, the emotions we suppress, ignore, and push to the side without processing, those don't just go away. And emotional literacy, which is being able to identify, understand, respond to, express, and communicate your emotions in healthy ways, some of these skills are so important to be developed at any age. But if you're an adult listening to this podcast who struggles in those, and struggles navigating difficult emotions, you know, these are things that are so critical. And most of us were not taught these skills on how to navigate emotions in healthy ways from our family, from school, social groups, society. We never got that memo on how to do this. As adults, it's now our responsibility to develop these skills for ourselves and for our life. Whether I like it or not, difficult emotions are part of being human, <laughs> like, unfortunately, um, because it's rigorous. It's not easy. Life challenges us in ways that sometimes it's just unimaginable. And, and suffering is inevitable in human life. And I'm not saying this to eradicate the acknowledgement of what I've been through and, and what you've been through, dear listener, uh, has been by any means easy. You know, when we take responsibility for learning the tools we were never taught, seek skilled professional support and have the transformational willingness to grow our skill set for these things like we would for anything else in our life that we want to improve, when we take responsibility for our healing and for our action steps towards our dreams and this form of learning, we step into that mode of truly being the catalyst for ourselves, for our own growth, for our own evolution. One section I love from a book called The Wisdom of Anxiety by Cheryl Paul. She talks about taking responsibility and she says, taking responsibility for our well-being is an essential key to transformation. We can't heal if we're waiting for someone else to heal us. And if we're committed to the mindset of blame and refusal, along with resistance, one of the ways that people refuse responsibility is by subscribing to the belief that their suffering shouldn't be happening, that if something external were different, they wouldn't be struggling with anxiety. As discussed, we're so culturally addicted to the belief that our internal states are determined by external circumstances that it's like swimming upstream to develop a different mindset. One that invites us taking 100% responsibility for our pain. The belief that anxiety shouldn't be happening stops people dead in their tracks from doing the work that needs to be done. This is fighting against reality because the anxiety is happening. And every time you fall prey to the escape hatch mindset, you miss the opportunity you're being given to heal and grow. And I remember reading this for the first time and I was like, wow, that was me. And sometimes it still is because we are evolving humans and sometimes our old patterns come up, right? But I used to resist emotional pain and difficult emotions like you would not imagine. I was so angry about what had happened to me in my life. And I had spent years suffering in what I like to call my own crockpot of resentment, blame and resistance towards healing. I grew up in a very emotional, toxic, and abusive household environment. At 16, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression disorder. And I spent six years feeling completely out of control of my life, out of control of my emotions. At 19, I was assaulted in college. And at 21, uh, as you guys know or don't, depending on whether or not you heard episode one, but I was engulfed in grief and going through a health crisis. And at one point i was experiencing panic attacks every day insomnia depression anxiety and through my healing journey with professionals and self-healing studies and all that work that i put in for myself to improve you know i had to spend a lot of time dissolving my resistance towards healing and resistance towards getting well even though that's what i wanted to do right um, and spending a lot of time processing heavy traumas, PTSD, grief, anxiety, depression, these things that I was trying to run away from, I had to go within and head straight forward into into what I was trying to escape from. And in this process, I recognized that my relationship with these emotions was one that wasn't very healthy. Um and a major step for me was recognizing what my beliefs were, my basic beliefs around emotions, and what were my go-to methods at the time for dealing with them. You know, what is my, my default method, my automatic knee-jerk response to my emotions, specifically the ones that are difficult, right? And besides the fact that we're humans and we're biologically wired to move away from pain and danger, and to move towards survival and pleasure, right? We've been heavily programmed since our birth with societal, cultural, and family messaging about emotions. Many of us were taught from an early age, either verbally or by example, that certain emotions are not appropriate, that they need to stop, or in other cases, they're not safe to express, right? And of course, this also varies across culture, so taking that into consideration. Recently in one of my classes, we were talking about how important it is in childhood development to explain and teach children the separation between behavior and emotions. And I was remembering this one day, I was so angry. And I don't know why, I don't remember the circumstances around it, but I had all of this anger and I wanted to do something with it. I didn't know what to do with it. And I remember looking at my mom and I had a yellow number two pencil in my hand and I looked at her and I broke it. And, like, <laughs> my mom was, like, very, very upset with me for doing that. Um, but in that moment, you know, when we see kids doing different things with their emotions, you know, recognizing that feeling anger is part of being human, right? And it's okay to have that emotion. But the behavior of breaking my school supplies wasn't necessarily an appropriate way to express it, right? And in my mind as a child, I somehow in that moment and and various moments linked you know, either getting lectured or punished or scolded for certain behaviors, I linked those with the emotions, that the emotions were bad. And in our family of origin, right, or the people we grew up around, they served as examples modeling to us how to express and handle emotions. So as babies growing up, and you can see this all the time with kids, they copy everything that you do. No matter what you say, they will follow what you do, right? Because humans learn through observation. And, you know, again, we might have been punished for certain acts as children, um, for expressing emotions inappropriately, right? And perhaps we didn't have that conversation about emotions and, and that they're okay and that they're normal, right? We might have been taught that these emotions are, are bad and vulnerability is bad. Especially depending on gender and race, you also receive different cultural and societal messaging around which emotions are allowed or appropriate for you to express or safe for you to express in society. And then also acknowledging that in our upbringing, we see how other people handle their emotions, right? And so a common practice is to suppress, to try to make them go away. And we see this all the time in the media, in movies, in television, and Three forms of suppression that I've seen both in the media or in my life or loved one's lives, number one being distraction. So this could be when you're feeling difficult emotions, you try to distract yourself from them. So it could be like watching Netflix or keeping myself insanely busy to the point where it was unhealthy, (laughs) Uh, looking at my phone a lot or going on apps or social media. Like I'll notice myself when I'm having an emotion, try to distract myself from it, right? Right. The second one being denial. So it could be simply denying the emotions and completely shutting them away. One thing I used to do was immediately disregard my feelings and put on this front of being a positive person. So I would say, you know, everything is fine. Think positive. Think positive. Like I was very in that mode of kind of that toxic positivity where I wasn't even allowing myself to feel the emotion or validate it. And I was like constantly shaming myself for not being positive, right? So this whole like think positive mindset that I was in and shoving away all of these unpleasant emotions, that also was the time in my life where I was the most deeply depressed, which is a very interesting, you know, process that I was trying to shove all these emotions away and that act of not feeling, you know, for me, I believe made the situation much worse. And the final one, numbing. So numbing through external means for brief feel-good activities. Continuing from our previous episode, a huge part of understanding what our perception is of our emotions is cultivating that curiosity around our internal world from a place of kindness, not from a place of judgment. So just getting curious, right? Some reflection questions to help aid you in this self-discovery and the self-improvement process great for journaling or just thinking about the first one being what do I believe to be true about emotions which emotions do I see as negative bad unwanted which emotions do I see as positive good desirable Which emotions do I struggle to express or communicate about? And then taking it to the family of origin environment, what emotions in my home environment were okay to express? Which emotions were not acceptable to be expressed in my family of origin or my, you know, the environment that you grew up in? How do those people that I grew up around, how did they express and deal with their emotions how do they model that for me as a child and then now looking at your own life currently how do I try to deal with emotions and make myself feel better what are my common ways this week I invite you to start noticing when difficult emotions coming up you know just noticing your response to it you know what are your thoughts what do you do do you notice yourself trying to make it go away? You know, what are your, your means? Do you notice yourself trying to distract yourself or different like forms of denial or numbing? Many times our inner talk when we feel these difficult emotions reflects the critical voices we heard in society or around us. Voices that invalidated us, voices that told us to just get over it or that we were being too sensitive. Voices that judged or were discriminatory. And our self-talk is often built from this external programming and kind of like that self-inner critic. And one exercise that I really love to do, and it's from Cheryl Paul, we can begin flipping that script and really become our inner best friend or loving parent. And whenever you have a difficult emotion arise, imagine how would you respond to your best friend or child who was feeling that way? And practice speaking to yourself in your mind in this loving, kind way. Another great exercise and tool that I've learned through my journey in therapy is called riding the wave of emotions. And I'm actually going to be reading really quickly off. It's called Mind Soother Therapy Center. And it's an article written by Kendra Anderson. And so she talks about riding the wave encourages us to experience our emotions like waves of the ocean. So we float with less intense feelings or ride the waves of stronger emotions. This skill is like riding a surfboard through these emotions, knowing that it's only gonna last a little while and then subtly subside. And here are some of the tips that she recommends to help you practice riding the wave. And these have really helped me in my life. Number one, be aware of the emotion, right? We talked in last episode about awareness being key. We can't support ourselves through anything that we're not aware of, right? And so in a non-judgmental and mindful manner, recognize the feeling that you're experiencing, naming the feeling, and think of it as, you know, a part of you, but it's not all of you. We have our emotions, but we're not our emotions. Number two, experience it. So allowing ourselves to experience this feeling like riding a wave, moving through the ocean, we often can't stop these strong waves moving towards us, you know, when we're at the beach. And so trying not to push the feeling away or trying to take control of it too strongly or make the feeling bigger than what it is. Just instead observe, ride the wave of emotion in an appropriate manner. And the third one being remembering again that this feeling is only one part of you. Recalling moments when you experience more positive emotions to remind yourself that they'll return soon enough, like a wave in this ocean this feeling will take its course. And I actually remember reading that, so when we think a thought, our brain releases chemicals called neurotransmitters. And it's about 90 seconds, the, the length of time that we experience an emotion. And a lot of the times it's our thinking and our, our struggle wrestling with the emotion that makes it longer than it normally would be in that chemical release process. Um, And also, number four, the last step, is to accept and tolerate your emotions. So try not to assign positive or negative thoughts to the feeling. Just fully accepting that this feeling is part of you right now and it's only temporary. Try pretending that your feeling is kind of like a guest in your home who you can tolerate hosting for the time being. And again, remembering that emotions, like the ocean, they come in waves. Some feelings might be stronger than others, but they all pass. And so instead of trying to put our feelings aside or controlling the emotion, she writes to recognize what you feel, let yourself experience it, know that it's only temporary and accept the feeling is part of you in the moment. And I loved how she mentioned about this concept of hosting a guest and my favorite poem by Rumi, and I'm going to end today's podcast with this poem, it's called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight, the dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. From my heart to yours, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I love creating it. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram at J-U-L Householder or my website, juliehouseholder.com. I love hearing how you've integrated these episodes into your life. And if you feel called, please leave a review on iTunes so we can help others reach new heights.